Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. In today's episode, we spoke with Colby Funnel. He is the development manager at Atlassian. I'm sure Atlassian is a common name for people who use Confluence, Bitbucket, or probably even Jira, or even Trello to manage workload. And they have a full-fledged observability platform, kind of like some of the similar large-slice product companies out there. And one of the reasons for me to bring in someone from Atlassian or a bigger company is all the big companies are the first ones to kind of jump on to what's that next evolution of something that you may be working on. And this observability piece is more from a logging and monitoring perspective. And we kind of speak about how observability is the next evolution of logging and monitoring and what does that mean for security. We also touched on what does a mature observability platform looks like. And if you are a small startup or maybe a smaller company or you have a small project that you want to start where you want to look at, hey, how can observability help me? I'm already doing logging. I'm already doing monitoring. How can observability help me and what kind of things I should be looking out for if I'm starting today? then this is the interview for you. As I mentioned earlier in some of my previous episodes for this month with Cloud Native, I would appreciate if you go into this with an open mind because these are things that are going to be big tomorrow. They are kind of big among the bigger companies right now, but so some of the smaller companies uh, or some of the more traditional companies haven't really caught on to this yet, but it's only a matter of time before it does. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to kind of drop them in the LinkedIn messages or feel free to just email us. But I really appreciate the time you spend with us. And if you got value from this free episode, feel free to share this with your friend or family. And uh, by the way, I want to say thank you to folks who have been leaving messages on LinkedIn for how much they love Cloud Security Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you guys make me go so happy every time I see those messages, like, it just makes my day. So thank you for that as well. And and if you're listening to this and you get value, I would appreciate if you guys can leave a review or a rating. It helps us get future guests as well. Another couple of people that I want to thank is Bridge Crew and Exonius, who are the sponsor for this episode. And you would hear from them next, as well as Forward CloudSec, which is a security conference for cloud security, probably the only one running in this year because AWS Reinforce just got canceled. So for people who may be looking for a cloud security conference, which is virtual and has amazing content, but is not vendor, I guess is vendor free for lack of a better word, I'll definitely check out that. So I'll include that into this clip as well. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy this episode with Colby Funnel and you go on to build another observability platform. I know I am building one and I'm finding value from it as well. So I hope you, you too as well. So over to the sponsors for the episode and I'll talk to you next week. Time is the enemy of security and that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius helps organizations immediately know what assets they have and shows which devices, cloud instances and users adhere to or deviate from security policies. Learn more and try it for free at externals.com. BridgeCrew is the all-in-one cloud security platform for developers. They automate and embed security throughout the entire development lifecycle so you can streamline your DevSecOps toolchain into one solution. Get started with codified cloud security for free at bridgecrew.io CSP. Have you heard of a nonprofit conference on cloud security called Forward CloudSec? where experts come in and talk about all the major cloud platforms from both an attack and defense research perspective, limitations of their security features, pros and cons of different security strategies, and a lot more about cloud security. In a world where there is no vendor, 
Yes, it, I'm talking about Forward CloudSec Dog Org. Cloud Security Podcast is supporting Forward CloudSec because we have been part of this amazing circle of people who are contributing in helping people learn cloud security. And there is no way I was leaving the opportunity to not support them this year. And some of the highlights from the talks that they've had last time, they had a builder session, attack and defense section, and a multi-cloud and governance section. I think one of my favorite ones was, of course, from an Australian, uh, Ian. He did a talk on creating the AWS account controller. And there was Kat Trexler, who has been a guest of ours in the past around GCP primitive roles. We had a lot of conversations from really interesting people last year. And I am looking forward to this event as well. Although I can't be there in person, but for those who can attend the event in Utah, I would definitely recommend at least trying to make yourself available if you are obviously vaccinated and you're okay to kind of travel and visit a conference. Again, the website is fwdcloudsec.org. Do check them out. Welcome, Colby. I'm so glad you came in, Colby. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I have a local Australian after a long time, so I appreciate you hanging out with me early in the morning. I want to start off by saying cheers. For people who may not know, Colby and I, we're both in lockdown cities at the moment, so uh, we're making the most of our time at home. But for people who may not know you, Colby, can you tell us a bit about you? Sure. I have been in the tech industry for many years. I started the, the journey as a sort of help desk sysadmin path, so not through the developer path, so to speak. Always had a bit of affinity for monitoring. I remember one of my first gigs was setting up SNMP monitoring for a telco on all their Cisco routers. And from there, it's just sort of leveled up and left. Started at Lassian 10 years ago, building out some of their first iterations of cloud when it was all running hardware and not running on Amazon and really enjoyed the challenges of flying around to different data centers in America and spending time overseas setting up servers and racks and telemetry of all these things. But more recently in the last sort of five years, we've been working with the observability org in Atlassian and focusing on getting the richest data set and best insights for the Atlassian cloud. Yeah, wow. And uh, building racks, I, I appreciate people from that era as well, because I, I started off in identity access management, but before that, I did a bit of a lot of IP addresses to remember, man. It becomes second nature by after a while. Thankfully, people smarter than me designed this thing. So it was using containers before Docker was a thing. It was not really well. There's patents out there about how they built these sort of read-only deterministic systems. And it was an amazing experience figuring, seeing how tech can be done at scale. Super and smart. I'm glad I have you here as well, because you're going to talk about observability at scale as well. So talking about observable and kind of cloud native, people kind of use those two terms sometimes together. So but how do you define cloud native and observability? Gosh, it's a bit early for such philosophical questions, isn't it? Cloud native to me, the, the story of Atlassian splitting, right? And Netflix did uh, a very similar thing. And that's what we sort of copied. Atlassian a number of years ago decided to fork the code base. One code base, which is the behind the firewall license stuff that you run on-prem, which is how Atlassian started, and the other for cloud. And that really meant that we could move both of those streams of work much faster individually. So we didn't have to have write a feature that worked on running on people's servers, as well as on our cloud. And we didn't have to write plugins that worked for both and we didn't have to so cloud native to me is you are focused 100 percent on running this in the cloud for someone and it 
you know, lives and breathes, starts in the cloud and finishes in the cloud. It's, it's not something that um, is just running on someone else's computer. In terms of observability, look, observability to me is being able to understand and answer any question you have of your systems, applications and users. Uh, and specifically, it's about not knowing the questions up front, right? So you're not instrumenting answers, you're instrumenting apps so that you can answer any question later on. Also, you're almost preempting what would be useful for a future question. Yeah, I, I remember yelling at users years ago saying, no, 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 you have to go through your list of what questions you might need to answer and imagine what could go wrong and instrument and answer all these questions up front, set up alerts and all this sort of stuff. But the world, and especially cloud native, it's too complex for that. You can't answer all the questions up front. You might have, especially microservices, you might have a hundred services interacting for one user request. And there's no way that you can think of all the things that can go wrong up front. So it's really about instrumenting your apps and collecting the data so that you can after the fact say, hang on, so how did this user interact with this and how fast was it? And actually that's just an interesting point because instrumentation was kind of covered in an episode a couple of weeks ago with Ted Young. We kind of got into instrumentation, open telemetry, but it's more in, in, a, in a general context for people to kind of get an understanding of it. I'm curious to know from an organization perspective, what, what do these things mean from an organization usage perspective? Like instrumentation, we're talking like logging, monitoring, like what are we talking? That's really interesting. The entire point of Hotel is to answer this question isn't a consistent answer in all of observability for this. I, I can tell you the places I've worked and the people I've spoken to all struggle with this, hence Hotel. We, at the moment, uh, allow developers to generate data however they right? So they can send logs, goes into Splunk, they can send metrics, they can send traces, they can even send analytics events to systems outside of us. Right? They, can, they can sort of do whatever they like. And even the struggle that that creates in, if, if developers choose how to send the data and how to instrument the data, then they're also on the hook for how to use that data. So it's a kind of catch-22 in that respect. So the, oh. the idea of instrumentation for us is that if a data system or observability system or even security system is as good as the data you send it, we want to help people generate the right data from the beginning which is therefore all about instrumentation. And hopefully Otel then helps to solve this. And I'm glad you mentioned security and observability as well. So what does that mean? I always imagined a instant response scenario for an observability can actually, oh, I guess a well laid out observability platform can help. Are there other scenarios as well? Or like how can security be enabled by observability? Maybe an unpopular opinion, but I don't think they're very different. I think that security and observability at least could just be different use cases of the same data. I think especially at scale where things like cost of data, the performance of huge amounts of data, if we're collecting the data once and using it for different things, then I think we're in a much better place. If you look at the typical example of HTTP access log, with all these 12 yep. factor apps out there in microservices, we might send an access log which has a huge amount of information that might go to Splunk and security run their queries and it might be combined Apache access log or something. And then on the observability world, we might send a trace, which is all these same information for you know the HTTP access. We might then send HTTP metrics and, and all this sort of stuff, which is just duplicating or triplicating, is that a word? The, the data. So, so I think that security and observability could just be different use cases for the same data. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned this because last week we had a conversation about data security lake. And the conversation wasn't that hey, security team should create their own data lake. It's more like if you already have an existing data lake in your organization, just use that information to kind of build security metrics around it. And I think you're kind of going to the same thing where 
if you're already doing observability in an organization, why not just tap into that instead of creating your own observability platform? I guess that's kind of where I'm going with. Yeah, look, I understand because we have very similar conversations internally. I understand that there are nuances, right? Security will want dimensions on data that most developers don't. Security don't like things like aggregation and sampling. Right, where, where developers might want to see trends, security want to see absolute details. But I think working with an observability platform, you can solve both of those use cases without having to build a, a secondary system. And I think interesting you mentioned that a developer is interested in trends, but as an, I guess from a security perspective, you're just basically looking, what am I investigating? What am I just ignoring? Or what is good? What is green? What is red? I guess, which is a very different way of looking at logging and monitoring. So talking about monitoring, because I, I think a lot of people still get confused between whole observability and monitoring. Like the way you mentioned, it's really interesting that how different they're not. Yeah. Observability is a market texture word. I love that. That's big companies are using to drive big dollar sales is, is my opinion. Look, without being too cynical, it's it's an evolution of monitoring. Right? Monitoring in the old days, like I said before, is you instrument your monoliths for questions and answers that you might want before the fact. Whereas observability solves the same problems in a much higher scale, much more complex world with many more moving parts. But at the end of the day, it's still sending data. It's still measured the same way around incident response. It's just new techniques, right? And you see that through the tech industry. It's it's not a new thing. It's just sort of uh, an evolution of best practices and maturity, right? Yeah, and that, that's good. That makes me go, okay, so if observability and monitoring is similar, and I guess it, we're now this is to your point is the next evolution. Are we ready to kind of like, so why make a different platform for it? Is that because the existing solutions are, like, you know how it, it was in the beginning when people were moving into cloud? Yep. There were certain companies built in the cloud and then there were like people in on-premise trying to make the solution fit into cloud. Is this one of those sort of situations where observability platform, which were built in observability with that mindset and before, they're probably too cloud native? Is that kind of a thing there uh, as well? Look, you could use observability tools from 10 years and quite effectively have the same level of stuff today. I mean, it's, it's not that different. Vendors will have you believe otherwise. Uh, and look, and if you're aiming for to min-max and get the absolute most, then maybe. But under the hood, Splunk is a logging platform that receives logs, and that hasn't changed a great deal in 10 years. The metric systems, the vendors, the data logs, the signal effects, they're just a slightly tweaked and much more heavy scale time series database graphs it's it's not that different from what it was 10 years ago interesting but it has a much more lip i guess a different kind of lipstick on it yeah. look tracing is kind of the, the newest thing and even that's not that new but the jury's still out at least for me that it's the be on end all of, of all things observability i think the problem with tracing is you need absolute coverage of all things before it becomes super impactful uh, and that's a hard place to get to when you're talking about thousands of microservices. Oh, that's an interesting point to kind of segue into the next question that I had then from a, I guess, a company looking at an observability platform. And uh, obviously they might be starting small, they might already be doing some kind of logging, may have a seam solution, like, I don't know, any one, any one of the vendors out there switching to observability. What are some of the initial challenges? Sounds, sounds like tracing probably is already coming out as a champion for that's the hardest part, but I'm curious, like, where does one start in terms of building for scale 
an observability platform. So firstly, understanding why you want it. Right? I will wave a flag and say that everybody must have observability. But at the end of the day, the amount of money that you spend and these things get really expensive. The amount of money you spend has to give you something, right? So what value do you want and how much do you value customer trust? Everyone's like, of course, we value customer trust, but there's a huge difference between five nines and three nines in terms mm-hmm. of it, right? So do you want to spend the hundred million or the 10 million? And what does that get for you? So I'd, I'd really make that clear, right? Because that'll dictate sort of exactly how much money you're going to spend on this thing, how many people you throw at it. In terms of the tech, it's interesting. The industry has gone 10 years ago, the world was open source. Right now, or two years ago, I'd say it was nothing but vendors. And we're starting to see the trend go back a bit more open source, which I think is a really good thing. There's also a whole heap of younger, much more agile vendors these days that offer more inclusive sort of all-in-one observability without all the enterprise attached to it. Mm. I, I'd suggest it is very, very common. Everyone I speak to at large companies has probably 12 different observability systems, etc. Even more than one sound. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the problem. They might have, I mean, Atlassian has it. We have a metrics platform. We have a logging platform. We have a tracing platform. We have an analytics platform. And we think that that's great because it's best practice, right? The best tool for the best job. But then yep. you look at the developer who's looking at a problem and there's that many tabs open, um, trying to understand this and that. And, and we kind of forget that it's the developer that has to use these things and that their job is much harder. And that then impacts things like incident resolution times and time to detect. I'm just thinking to what you said. If- from a security perspective as well, we always end up in a situation where we have multiple tools for, mm. you might be trying to find out, hey, what are my public IPs on my AWS accounts as an example, but it's not just one script and you have all the answers. You kind of have to like all these different things that you have to go into. Yeah. So I, I believe observability kind of is falling in the same bucket yeah. as well, where it's almost like there's so many best of breed tools that you can go for. But at the end of the day, you end up with like five or six things that you have to somehow combine again you might as well make a product about it as well. So to your point, if once figured out that, hey, it's important for me to have the five nines for availability, because especially now with remote working, where now everyone's like, availability is important, integrity is important, as the folks from cybersecurity, the CIA people would say, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, as they talk about. Is observability playing a part in this as well? So when you're building a platform, is that the metric that you need to build on? Because you mentioned the cost aspect of it as well for five nines versus three nines. So is, I guess, that availability, reliability, a huge component for why people go into observability as well? Yes, availability, reliability, some of the numbers. I'd throw performance in there as well. Right. You, you might say that an app is unavailable if it's not performing right, if a user then closes a tab. But the typical metrics that you'd measure observability by would be time to resolve an incident. So the use case of incident detection, time to resolve, time to detect. It's not an industry thing, but I'd use time to diagnose. So how long it takes you to actually figure out what the problem is. Mean time between failures. So how long between incidents for different services and applications, these sorts of things. Reliability is a good measure, but it it's generally not enough. Right. And so once we've kind of decided, I guess, what's important for us with reliability and availability, what's the next step for building that platform then? So we figured out, okay, I'm happy to spend X amount of money and I've I've got this problem of uh, plenty of best of breed tools, but I guess I want to start somewhere small so I don't get overwhelmed. Where do you recommend people start from building a platform? that hopefully can scale into multiple observability platforms, but at least like a one version. A smallish company. 
I would just go with one of the vendors that offers a sort of all-in-one things where you, you might drop in a client library or some agents and put that on your infrastructure and you get some opinion views of that data, right? If you don't know what you're looking for at all, then somebody's opinion of what you should be looking at is, is a pretty good starting point. But the problem with the industry, and hopefully Hotel solves this, is vendor lock-in is such a real problem. So if you do start with this vendor over here, it becomes really difficult to then move to this thing over there. But if you're starting out fresh and know very little, then I think a, an all-in-one solution from one of the many vendors out there is probably the best place to start. Uh, that's an interesting thing you mentioned because I always assumed, isn't open telemetry like an open standard? So yeah. I should be able to move across anywhere, right? Huh, eventually. That's one of the goals. I, it's not happening right now, as in with open telemetry as it stands right now. One of the fun things about open telemetry is that it's a real double-edged sword. You've got all of these vendors that have come together to say, we are going to create the new stuff. And that's amazing. I never thought I'd see that, that all these vendors are like, yes, let's work together and let's do this. On the other side, you've got vendors saying, well, hang on, no, my standard's better than yours. So just do my standard and that should be the standard, right? Uh, and that's why we're seeing a bit of delay in actually getting to this, this final standard in what data shape should look like, in what instrumentation should look like. Interestingly, the first versions of open telemetry didn't have logs. It was all just metrics and tracing. But due to some prolific logging companies out there being involved, now there's a logging standard that's that's coming along. So it's it's very vendor-led at the moment, and, and I'm hoping we can change that sometime soon to just really go back to the root data standards. Oh, so the, the three pillars of observability that you will talk about, I, I guess to your point, if I'm a small company, smallish company, and trying to build an observability platform, which my developers can use and hopefully my security teams can use as well, I'm happy to just invest in like a, a all-in-one solution for observable and use that for my logging, tracing, and I guess metrics. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really careful with the, the pillars of observability. Again, oh, right. really fantastic marketing fodder, but I would never say that somebody has a high-value observability solution because they have metrics logs. I'd say they have an expensive one. You can, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could do all of this through logs. You can log a metric, you can put everything in Splunk or something if you want to spend the time and energy doing that. It really is figuring out what you want from this and getting that. And metrics, logs and traces were a good way to sort of explain how to get started. And if you have this, you're on a good path, but it's yep. not a destination at all. You shouldn't just say, I've got metrics, logs and traces, I now have observability. You need to be able oh. to say, can I answer the question of what did this user do? at this point that I'm interested in, or what's the performance of this tenant with this app and blah, blah, blah. And all the data types, metrics, logs, and traces come together to help you answer that. Actually, that's interesting because I I've, clearly I've been drinking the marketing Kool-Aid quite a bit. So I'm like, for me, it's like those three pillars. So wait, so which one is important for one, one to kind of focus on? So uh, keeping the marketing piece aside, is, is it to your point, logging then? Because I, I'm already doing a lot of logging already around my organization. Yeah, look, I'd actually say that you don't need logs. Logs are unstructured, right? They're just a blob of something that says maybe this thing happened and here's some metadata about this thing. That's the most expensive, slowest, and least often useful bit of data 
in the observability suite, right? So right. if you look at metrics, they're a, a trend of things. They're really fast to query and you can store it for a long time because the data footprint's tiny. And these are the things that you might send alerts and things off and they'll show you your pretty graphs of what's going on. And that gives you a general sense of, of the world. So you absolutely need a general sense of what's going on. Tracing gives you the ability to connect things, right? Tracing is the, the context propagation tool where you might say this request then touched this, 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 and it used these sort of resources. And I think that metrics and tracing together give you enough of a picture without logs. Topical, but I do believe that you can do most of the use cases for observability. And I actually think with security too, if, if the security industry looked at HTTP spans and, and tracing, I think you could get most of your data from spans as well. Yeah, because I think I'm already, as you mentioned, that if metrics and tracing are probably the two important components, I can already think of a scenario and you can validate this is, if this is wrong or not. If you're looking at HTTP logs and a lot of people can pick up a denial of service pattern fairly quickly, where if your metric for any, like a good day is, I don't know, 10,000 requests per second or something, but suddenly you're getting 20, 30, that, and you see that trend and you go, oh, there's something wrong there. Like your, your machine obviously being in cloud can handle it, but you're going, there's something happening here. So is, is that, would that be a good, I guess, an example between that tracing and metrics? Yeah, yeah. So we, we always, we ask for, hope that users start with metrics for all things because they're the most lightweight and most near real-time data. So you might have a dashboard that shows you your HTTP requests, your application usage, right? Number of users logging in, the number of hits and these sorts of things. And it might be seasonal, but as long as everything's following a consistent known and expected pattern, everything's great. Typically though, what's the next step when something goes up and you're like, oh crap, what do I do now? Most developers, I imagine security too, would just jump straight into Splunk and they'd say, show me everything that happened between there, right? And then spend maybe an hour trawling through a thousand log lines, looking looking for the, the needle in the haystack. Tracing gives you more context, right? So you might say that metrics or metrics might say if something's going on, uh, tracing might tell you where it's gone wrong, right? It might say in this HTTP request that's hit these 30 different services, this one over here, this span is taking a bit longer than normal or using more resources or something like that. So it helps give context and sort of zero in on what the issue is. And from there, you might sort of jump into to logs to find specifically what happened, but it's it's a much smaller surface area if you actually have to search through. Oh yeah, because I, I remember in an incident response scenario, the first thing people are trying to find out is who do I call first? Because I clearly, as a security person, have no idea what app, what does this, this application do? I mean, I have a high level idea, but kind of like it's not specific enough. Oh yeah, and made so much worse with inconsistent instrumentation. So you may not even be able to understand different teams and different services telemetry because, well, they're sending HTTP with a typo or something and I can't find their data and so on and so forth. Yeah, and I think they like that those people would know how they're, they've done the instrumentation. So security obviously doesn't have an idea. They kind of have to, again, find the person responsible instead of trying to find like a trace. And it's funny, as, as we were talking about this, I'm kind of realizing we already have a lot of metrics, especially for people who have been working in the cloud space for some time. Like I'm just going to use an AWS as an example. Then mm -hmm. CloudWatch, EC2, they all have... They even use the word metrics. So like you can define your own metrics in CloudWatch. I mean, like, oh, actually, we have been doing metrics for a long time. It's just that there was no, like, a banner to it saying, hey, this is observable. Yeah, and this is where I get a bit, feel a bit icky 
with the whole observability architecture thing because it's not new and it's not different. It's a bit of an evolution, but everyone's been sending telemetry and metrics and logs for years now. We need to use them slightly differently because microservices and architecture and cloud and all these things. But at the end of the day, it's it's the same. Yeah. And so just, well, I'm going to use the word fewer. I did there <laughs> tracing back to my question about building observability platform. So I've, I've bought a observability tools, I guess a best of breed, all, all contained solution. So I'm starting to build metrics. I, I need to find, I'm already doing log, but it's the intent is to kind of start building metrics on it, which you can probably make some traces from. Would that be the next obvious step after you've decided on the platform, considering you're already sucking in on the logs, but it's more about what's my business metrics that I need. Well, yes. Uh, and this is where Otel hopefully will solve this with you know the standard instrumentation. Every vendor today will tell you a different way of generating data. Right? They'll say, use this client library in your application and it will automatically send a bunch of stuff or put this agent on each host and it will generate all of this data for you. So yep. there, there's no one way today for me to say, go and do this. If I had to generalize, you would be doing something in your application to send some data. Mm -hmm. Open telemetry, hopefully soonish, will answer what that something is. It'll be a client library and it will generate a consistent set of data. And hopefully if you're using common frameworks and common tech, it will do it nearly for, you'll just sort of include this library and it will generate uh, spans of what's going on. It'll generate metrics. And if certain vendors have their way, it'll generate logs and you'll be able to then understand what's coming out of your apps and use that. Oh, and so we're not there yet at this point in time then? It's close. There's there's definitely client libraries that are out there. The The issue that we have rolling this out to production at scale at the moment is simply that it's all still in experimental, right? So we are waiting for the community to sort of say, right, this is the 1.0, this is the globally or generally available. And bits and pieces are there, right? So I don't want to slam Otel. I think they're doing an amazing job, but I'd like it sooner. Right. And so... That actually makes me think then if this is kind of like a experimental stage, but what do you consider, or what's the metrics of a good observability platform then, I guess? Or it's funny now, every time I say metrics or tracing, I'm thinking of like all my questions are kind of going to tracing metrics or observability. How do you measure a not so mature observability platform? So in terms of maturity, I've always thought about it as following very similar to SRE or ops in that you've got different levels of maturity. Typically, and I think most companies fall into this bucket of reactive, right? And that's the first level. Something's gone wrong. I'm going to react and figure this out. Observability obviously helps with that. But at that point, something's already gone. Yep. Right? So the, the, the next level of maturity might be proactive in that I know something's about to go wrong or when something does go wrong, I'm already prepared for it. I might have some automation. I might have failover. I might have something. Right. And good companies are still struggling to do that. And I think the holy grail is just prevent, right? So things before they even go wrong. Uh, and that's a really interesting one because how do you measure that? How do you measure when you've stopped something going wrong? It's, it's a really interesting one. So we, we are at the moment struggling to sort of go, well, hang on, if we really succeed, we won't be able to tell anyone we succeed because nothing. But yeah, there's ways around that. It's really interesting. So I definitely say reactive, proactive, preventative. Yeah. I stole that off the internet somewhere. So that's not me being wise. And if the, okay. So if that's the case in that scenario, are there use cases for security in there as well? I guess from an incident response perspective, clearly sounds like we would love to be preventative. But most of the times we are reactive uh, incident response, but then cloud security for a lot of people, at least I would love for it to be preventative. But we don't have a preventative measure there as well. I mean, for folks like Amazon, Azure, Google Cloud, all these people who have collecting so much metrics, they clearly see us doing stupid things. 
they clearly have a metrics of our stupid things at their end, like S3 opened on the internet or whatever, but they obviously would not open it up, up to us. So it's up to us to kind of figure out what would that mean from an organization or is there a split between, hey, this is what almost like a shared responsibility there as well. Because I mean, I guess now AWS also has observability, Azure has so, I mean, I guess but they are, they're opening up to observability. They haven't really gotten observability. So are there components there as well, where it's more of a, hey, this is something that developers would look after. This is something that a security team or, or a SRE team would look. Are there like a shared responsibility component kind of to observability as well? So basically, I'm trying to get to the point where is this still like a collaboration kind of a thing where it's one person or one team responsible for generating the metrics and identifying the metrics and another team kind of observing? No, it, it depends on your org structure. I, I believe the old ops days gone and we're still a bit there with security and I'd like to see that disappear where you have like an ops team over there and a dev team over here and the dev team does a thing and then the ops team gets woken up because the dev did a thing. Atlassian removed that years ago and everyone I speak to is in the same boat now where and this is what DevOps is as much as I hate the term. Developers are on the hook for their own stuff right and that means instrumenting observability it means viewing dashboards and alerts and in many cases it also means generating the right data for the security team to use but in that sense you still a developer is instrumenting something and throwing it over the fence to the security team who all the common problems of well i don't know what they've done and i don't know how to look at their data and they're doing this thing for me but they don't understand this and i don't actually know the answer i haven't thought about that for, for security but in the devops world it's about pushing those responsibilities to the developer i think that maybe the security world is a bit more complex than the ops world in that you, you can't really just throw the, the security responsibility in full. But I think, like you say, a really collaborative approach to having developers understand why security and how security and potentially make the, I talk about developer experience a lot, like making the developer experience easy, simple and accurate. Yeah, I think that yeah, collaboration and, and shared ownership of responsibilities and outcomes, definitely important. It's actually interesting what you mentioned, because I think I've, I feel like at every product level, there's two sides, I guess one is security of the product. And then there is like, how can security use the product? So talking about security of the product, are there obvious things that people listening to this are probably some security background, they're going, what are some of the risks that an observability platform, I guess, opens up, opens them up to, I guess there is one obvious one that kind of floats around quite a bit is the whole PII being available to much more broader people. Are there other things that like, is there a supply chain component to this as well and other things? Yeah, I mean, the the observability system is kind of the blueprint and the access log, and it basically says everything about your stuff. So if someone gets access to that, or you have a bad actor internally or something, it, it can cause problems, definitely. I don't think I've ever heard of that happening, but... I can absolutely see the risk there. We do, there are controls around data access and who can see what. There's movements in the industry about automating away PIPD, UGC, all, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, but there, there is a risk there. I've not heard of it playing out. Yeah, I think to your point, because is it also because I guess it's still, I mean, for a lot of people, observability is still not even, like I think a lot of people are still doing the traditional log aggregation theme or performance management. Yeah. A lot of people are still kind of opening up to the idea of observability. So kind of maybe as we kind of mature into it and 
hopefully once we have a standard for OpenTel, where, where what is that standard for, I guess, instrumentation, maybe that might be a good way to kind of have the start as well. I, I think I, I love the conversation we've had so far because we've touched on, if I'm a small company, I want to start doing observability, get a solution, get some metrics and use that to develop tracing. I, I love that thing. From, from a scaling perspective, is, are there any fundamental things that they should be looking at when scaling an observability platform, I guess like you can do it for one team, but I'm thinking about like a mid market, like a going to a large, how does that work at that? Yeah. First of all, I understand observability is expensive and I don't think that's observability. That's just data. Lots and lots of data costs lots and lots of money. So you've got to figure out how much you're willing to spend on that to scale to the point that you need. And it's not just cost, it's the more data you have, the slower it is to respond and, and the more people you might need to run this thing. Other aspects of scale, there's a really interesting one that we are, I've been thinking about all this week actually, asset management and artifact management, right? So in some of our tools, if you say, show me a list of all dashboards in the system, that list won't load because there might be 50,000 dashboards because there's 5,000 developers that create this dashboard and someone's automated something and all of a sudden there's 50,000 dashboards. And so these ways that you didn't think that they were breaking points. Some of these systems you or vendors you'll go to and say, show me a list of all my services. Well, that's not going to load for a company like Atlassian or, or other medium to large things, but that's just one little nuance. In, in reality, the most important thing for me is the standards, right? In Atlassian, you might have lots of developers sending HTTP metrics, but calling them different things. And therefore I, as the observability team or someone in ops or someone anywhere can't use that data because the developer knows what it is. Whereas if you were um, starting from scratch today, you might say, hey, every developer has to send their data, HTTP data that looks like this. And then all of a sudden, we can, the platform can help them. Security team can understand that data because all the data is consistent. Yeah, so, and that's so the successful scaling would be standard, I guess, having a standard. Yeah, I mean, the metrics would be how fast you can get data in and out of it and how much it costs and what does it take to, to maintain. But but the true value of using the data in the system, if the data is consistent, then it's a lower footprint, it's faster, and the platform can do more on behalf of users. And we can start talking about these other buzzwords like machine learning and AI and doing things on behalf of users with this data, but it starts with understanding the data. I've really enjoyed this so far as well. I'm going to continue enjoying exploring observability. But I think I just want to quickly switch gears as well. So this is kind of like the last section of my podcast as well. I know we've been talking about technical stuff. I've got some non-technical questions just for folks to get to know you a bit more as well. Three fun questions, not too many. First one being, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on Observable? I'm a pretty boring person. So reading a book, taking my dogs for a walk, playing video games, watching TV. I'm not, if I wasn't in lockdown, the answer would be road trips and getting out and about. But I can't remember what life was like before lockdown anyway. Yeah, I think a lot of us are still, I mean, I guess I feel for you guys for after seven weeks of lockdown, still going. So now I appreciate the, the insight for pre-lockdown days when they used to be. The second question that I have is what is something that you're proud of, but is not on your social media? Oh. A lot of again, things that they've done, but I'm curious from your side, what is something that you're proud of, but is not on your social media? I don't have a huge amount of social media and my wife's definitely on it. I'm proud of my wife, my dogs. I'm proud of my, my journey through different careers and different things that, that got me to where I am. Um, proud of, I'm, I'm confusing proud and thankful now, but I'm proud of my sisters. That's pretty awesome. And I think I'm, I'm glad you kind of mentioned the part about the different careers as well. And I mean, obviously family is important. I think we've had a couple of people before mention the same thing as well, because it's, it's, it's not easy transitioning from sysadmin as well to your into now you're doing observability. 
you're going that's like some scientific stuff man it's like it's like instrumentation and um, metrics tracing i actually i actually meant even further you can't tell because of my lockdown haircut but i was a hairdresser for years before i even got really into tech and i think that that journey of going through the bits of life and, and who you are that's i'm pretty proud of that oh that could be a good story from a hairdresser to observe a pretty common path i think yeah, totally. I've got one last question for you, man. What's your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share? Obviously pre-lockdown, but I would know, keen to know your favorite cuisine or restaurant. Definitely sushi Japanese. Sushi Japanese? Same, same. Lovely. Awesome. So that's pretty much what I wanted to cover for the podcast. So I, I do appreciate you hanging out, man. So for people who probably have questions on observability and probably building platforms at scale, where can they reach you on like what where do you hang out on social media nowhere really but i'm on linkedin um feel feel free to reach out on linkedin i think that you've already pinged me on a yeah. thing through that happy to talk for days about this stuff don't always know what i'm talking about but happy to give opinions anyway no i, I think it's been valuable for me so i'm pretty sure other people would find it valuable as well so thank you for that and i'm really looking forward to talking more about observable as soon as open telemetry comes up with a standard i think i'm gonna have to bring you again because to get to get an honest opinion on this we can totally do an honest mm -hmm. review on what the standard is saying and what actual implementation looks like totally can mm -hmm. do that as well so i appreciate hanging out with me colby so thanks so much for coming in and I'll, I'll look forward to bringing you back again yeah thanks thanks for having me thanks everyone all right everyone else i will see you next weekend and uh yeah stay safe peace Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.